I would say before you get jumping head first, ask yourself a question. Do you have the DNA of an entrepreneur? Yes or no. Mm. And in most cases, the answer is no. I would say that to become a successful entrepreneur takes a tremendous amount of grit, resilience, mm-hmm. and ability to take the pain and get back up. It will yeah. be a very painful journey. You got to know that before you launch yourself. If you ask me right right now, uh, it's not. I can't prove it scientifically, but by experience, just empirically, uh, how many people actually have what it takes. If mm-hmm. you are one of those persons, you're five percent. You're one out of twenty. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's uh, grown several startups in the seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest, and I say all great guests, another great guest, because they all are really all great, and I'm, Dom is certainly no exception. We have Dom um, Einhorn, I think, and I just learned right before the podcast that uh, Einhorn means unicorn in German, and so it, it was a, a suiting, and if you're if you're unicorn company or anything else, maybe you should start calling yourself an Einhorn instead of a unicorn. <laughs> but anyway, quick introduction to Dom, so uh uh, runs he's runs several uh, tech focus incubator that has several different projects um, has uh, been trying to or has been accomplishing letting uh, in, in entrepreneurs and inventors know that they have a different way backing up just a bit so he was actually I think a professional prize fighter for a period of time um, did three years of service in or for France I think it was and he fought in Chad and you can correct me wherever I'm wrong um, then came back um, from fighting quit decided to do startups and uh, then did a, I think a pre-internet kind of a billboard for travel um, did in 93 did some uh, things for Yahoo as Yahoo search develop, or built a development co- or company um, did website building uh, did that for a period of time and then bringing it up to where he's at today that's kind of morphed into a i'd say tech advantage or tech advantage company for marketing and pr to help companies and businesses with that much as an introduction welcome onto the podcast dom hey thanks a lot for having me Devin. pleasure being here so i gotta say the other thing i learned i, I like two things about your name because you have einhorn which is unicorn which is really cool and then the other thing is it is completely aside of nothing to do with your journey but i'm a i'm a, i'm a car guy so i like fast and the furious and one of the main people in the show you know their name is dom so i like the name on both fronts just because i like fast and furious and i think unicorns plays well to businesses thanks as much yeah yeah it's it's funny because when i go to german tech conferences the first thing they ask me is did, when did you change your last name <laughs> You're like, no, I've always been a unicorn. It's, it's just me. So. Since way before it was fashionable, since way before the, uh, the term was coined. Exactly. Well, let's now dive a bit into your journey now that I've told you how much I like your name and that it's, it's true as well. But tell, take us back a little bit in time. And I think you said uh, kind of where it starts is you were a prize fighter for a period of time and did that for yeah. a little while. Yeah, uh, it was in the, in the 80s. And actually, that's what got me onto the uh, the journey of becoming an entrepreneur. So. In the late 80s, I was booking my uh, my travel on the on the predecessor ancestor of the internet called the Minitel, M-I-N-I-T-E-L in France, mm. which was a DOS-based, uh, you know, bulletin board, for lack of a better term, that allowed you to book travel more efficiently than via a regular travel agency. So I was hooked early on uh, mm. with technology. Uh, then later on in the early 90s, I moved from France to the U.S., 
spent 25 years there and came back in 2018 to create Unicorn. So I started early on as a digital well, media entrepreneur. Just before we dive in, and we'll definitely get to that. But one question I've got to ask, so, you know, as a price, so was it boxing, I assume, with price fighting? Kickboxing. Is that right? Kickboxing. So is, is what, you know, is, is it, it seems like that would be a fun and exciting thing where you get to do it. Were you, were you any good? Did, you know, you say prize fighter, so I assume you won some prizes. But give me this, out of personal interest, just because I think it sounds cool and exciting, how was it to be a prize fighter? And was it a fun and exciting career? And what made you decide to kind of get out of it? Well, injuries got me out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting my behind kick got me into it, uh, like, a lot, <laughs> like a lot of them. Uh, so I learned how to defend yourself, you know, in the, in the, in the seventies and early seventies, I started very early. Uh, mm. I had some nice little accolades. Yes. Uh, had a very good record track record, fought uh, professional for several years, including in the, in, in the U S and Las Vegas, which is what early on got me to Las Vegas. My strength coach was from Las Vegas actually. Mm. Uh, and, uh, one thing leading to another. So, you know, I'm booking my travel for four tournaments for four fights is probably the reason why I ended up getting into tech space mm. because I was intrigued with it. I also always knew, uh, you know, there is probably life beyond that, fortunately. Right. Uh, and I see this mm. today because I happen to also be the largest shareholder of the local rugby team here in France in our town. And uh, I have seven rugby players, professional rugby players that work with me here at Unicorn. Mm. Uh, and we're trying to actually put together a rugby plus program where they get to perform on the field and also off the field mm. and uh, helping them, you know, reconvert later on in their careers. And actually, instead of walking away and being just lost, actually having a career waiting for them. No, and I think that that, that first of all, it's cool that you you know that, that they they had that opportunity, and I think that they would make great employees, and uh, certainly know how to be competitive, how to work hard, and how to be uh, take you know to to get that competitive edge. Now, one thing, but and then we'll dive into a little bit more. What you're doing with the, the business now, but you know, so at, after you did box, or price fighting for a period of time, did you go into the military service before you got into startups? Is that yeah, what actually, recall? it was was pretty much concurrent because the French military school I went to is in, in France is a little different than the U.S. when it comes to actually academics and sports. Hmm. Uh, it's changed a little bit, but in France, you have to make an early decision as to whether or not you want to be smart or you want to be an athlete. Mm. Uh, they don't really give you the option to do both, unfortunately. Uh, going through Ivy League military school was the only exception, which was one of the reasons why I joined. Uh, so I did that, did a three and a half year stint there, uh, and uh, didn't intend of making that a long term, you know, play either anyway, because I had two older brothers, grew up in a middle class family. Uh, my mom and dad were stretched financially, you know, and that was my way of actually getting like, education and doing what I love at the same time. Well, that's that's a, a cool way to to tackle or several different goals of hey, first of all, I have this skill and ability to do prize fighting. Second of all, I'd like to get an education. Why not do it all the time? And then find a, a way to be able to afford and to, to jump into that. So now, now kind of going to where you were starting. So you came out of the military or got out of prize fighting. Wasn't you know? And I'm I'm guessing you know I've had, we've had a few other professional athletes on the the podcast, more so in football and uh, basketball. But it seems like you know a lot of times you get into hey, I love this, but either one, it's not a lot. It's not I'm not going to be able to go professional, or I'm not going to be a long term. You 
long-term profession or two, I got an injury. And so I, either way I have to pivot out of that and, you know, and not that you may not already have that inclination anyway. So you did that. You've been using the travel bulletin board kind of pre-internet. And so then I think you talked about, and we chatted a bit before that as you were kind of getting into the startup, it was, if uh, you were doing kind of web development, you were one of the first three, I think you said that was on Yahoo. Yeah. Yeah. It was 93, but you know, back in 93, you probably remember if you're old enough, you probably remember the times where we used to call it the the information superhighway before calling it the internet, you know, for about 18 Hmm. to 24 months, that was the term being used. And actually Yahoo, technically speaking, wasn't, wasn't even a search engine. It was a human curated directory of web links uh, before AltaVista, Webcrawler and Lycos came about. Uh, Those are predecessors to, uh, to Google today. Right, so search. And I always, I always like not that I think it's even around. I think Ask G was about the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Butler, the Butler. I, I loved Ask G. Now I, I don't know how good it was, but I, I it's, it's been long enough ago. I just that was my always my go to because that was I just thought it was a cool one. So yeah, and then they, then they became Ask. They bought the domain name Ask.com, mm-hmm. which took them like three years to acquire because the uh, the owner didn't want to sell for a long period of time until the offer was good enough. They could afford to pay a nice price tag for it. <laughs> well fair enough so now so you got into web developer basically when the internet was barely a thing or just becoming of age you know how was that was it lucrative was it difficult i mean nowadays you take it for an advantage right in the sense that there's a lot of web developers everybody if you don't have a web page people wonder what's wrong with your business or they want you know that you're unless you're in a niche industry almost everybody has at least a web page some of them are great some of them are horrible i always like to joke that most law firm web pages are, are terrible but it's, it's one of my favorite pastimes as a complete aside to go find terrible <laughs> law firm web pages but as you're as you're getting in early on and you know starting into that industry how was it as far as was there demand? Were you having to convince people they needed a web page? Was it difficult so, to make a web page or kind of give us an insight there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was trying to sell websites before people knew what a website was, right? So in many ways, it was like selling ice to Eskimos. And I actually was able to coin my own term, which is 36 over one. Mm. And it's pretty much a tale of uh, grit and persistence. Uh, 3601, what it means is that I, I took close record of how many calls I needed to make to sell a website in 1993 and 1994, and it took me 36 connects. So it took me 35 failures to get to one success. I'll get now. Which, I got it now. Just because you gave that, I'll, I'll give you the other similar analogy, which is do you, you know WD40, right? What WD40 yeah, is? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, you know where the or what WD40 stands for. No, no. Weeds for W? <laughs> I think it, I'd have to double check on the WD. I think it's water dissip- or dissipation or something of that nature. But the 40 is what I always find interesting. 40 was a number of different mixtures or different configurations you had to try before you got to what it, what it, what works today. So similar to what you did, 39 failures of, hey, this doesn't work. This doesn't lubricate right. It's not or what it is. And then when it got to 40, that was the one that we use today. And that was one that worked. So kind of just an interesting aside of kind of that similar thir- or 35 failures to get to the 36 success. That was where WD-40 comes I, from. You Americans are a strange breed. That's why you also need 33... <laughs> 33 different flavors of ice cream before you like one, I guess. I guess so. So, so, now, so, so now going back from the rabbit hole, the, the side, so you're, you're doing the internet, you're making websites, you're having to tell people why they need this when the internet is just barely becoming a thing. How did you kind of take that and grow the business and how did that evolve? 
Well, you know, it went actually a lot easier afterwards. I mean, the initial the initial year or two were very difficult where we just, again, tried to sell ice to Eskimos, but we did sell some ice, some ice to Eskimos. So we just barely survived. And mm -hmm. it was just pure grit and just make the dials in order to make a living and just survive and stick with it. And then I would say after Netscape 1.0 came out, right, 95, 95 96, where the internet really become ubiquitous, people knew what it was. More and more people, uh, you know, started inquiring about what a website was. You know, what they needed, why they needed to have one. What is a URL? Why it should be in your catalog? Right, it gives you an additional way after facts, facts on demand. Before that, to promote yourself. So it was very incremental. But we got into a situation between 1997, 1999, where because we were early movers, literally everybody and their brother called us and wanted to have a website at first. And then we quickly got into digital marketing as an add-on, right? Now that you have a website, you have to promote it. How are you going to promote it? You know, early SEO, right? Lead no, generation. Really, before you, I got a question, and I know I, I'm, usually I don't have these many questions, but apparently your journey is just one that I, I, I just like have a lot of questions. On the web development, so I've done a bit of it. I think it's interesting and it's fun and I do it some. We, I I now have a marketing team that helps with a lot. When I originally did the law firm website, I did it myself. I'd had a, a some, I built a few others. So it wasn't, I started from scratch, but that one is at least, you know, I use Shopify and that's a, a longer reason as to why, and there is motivation for why I did it. But I got to imagine back in the day, there really wasn't the website building tools and it was a lot more rudimentary and it wasn't like you have all the resources you did today. So did you have a background in website building or did you just say it was not at all, not, not at all. So I surrounded myself. I was the sales and marketing guy and I, I hired web developers who are basically initially they were HTML coders and that's what they prided themselves of, right? It was all written by hand. There was no tool that would actually make this, uh, you know, this creation process systematic like there is today. Uh, little anecdote: in 1998, my month I was using 800 times less bandwidth than I'm using today, but my monthly bandwidth bill was $8,500 US in 1998. In 1999, 2000 is when we really got into e-commerce, when e-commerce really started to gain, gain ground. And basically you needed to have a database. The only kid in the block was an Oracle database. Mm. One server license cost $32,000 US, right? <laughs> so uh, if you wanted to launch the business at that time, unless you raised a half a million to a million bucks, you had no point being in business. Right. So I think yeah, it's a much different dynamic. Now you can have 30 bucks, go put up a website and you can build it yourself. Not saying that as, as optimizers good, but you can definitely the costs have come down and, and makes it much more competitive. hundred uh, percent. So, I mean, what you're seeing is you've had a massive democratization, massive demonetization of the process over the last 25 years. So today you can create a new business instantly, right? You can, if you look at hackathons, they basically create businesses within 48 hours over a weekend, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but by the, by the mere fact that everybody can do that today, you also have tremendously increased competition and the playing ground has completely changed. How do you stand out from the crowd, right? So I think for all of you digital marketers out there, for all of you creative entrepreneurs, I think this is your calling. Right, because it's no longer you no longer differentiate yourself by your ability to code. Because you, if you look at the no code right theme, that's that's pretty much permanent, you know, present everywhere today, where you can create any application without any any just drag and drop right pieces mm -hmm. into one place. The, the real differentiator is not there anymore. 
right? The real differentiator is how to be different from anybody else, clearly while still solving problems instead of inventing them, because as a result of anybody becoming an entrepreneur today, very often what we see, for example, uh, people knocking at our door is they sometimes seem to create the problem while offering the solution, right? That's not a nece necessary good idea, not mm. necessary good business model, right? There are still plenty of problems out there to solve, a lot of friction points across any domain and any industry. Focus on those, right? But don't try to invent problems for the sake of ultimately solving them. <laughs> no, I, I think that is a that is a great piece of or a great uh, piece of advice, and I, I I do agree that there are those industries where they try to create the problems just so that they can offer the solution, and then you're really mm -hmm. just paying them to to fix a problem that they created, but. Now, as we go back a bit more to your journey, so now you've got, you know, you started in web development, didn't have necessarily that experience, but then we were able to get into it, branched out a bit. You're saying, okay, now we've got web development, but we've got to help on the marketing side. And how do you kind of early days SEO type of thing, but get them found, get a return on investment and make it worth what in those days was even all the more expensive. And then how did that, you know, so doing those, and I think you said that the very first website you built, if I remember right, was a fertility product for horses. That story is correct. Uh, <laughs> the brand is still, I'm not sure. I think the brand is still around. It was pregnant, pregnant mare. So it was, it was interesting, you know, because I remember that day where I had pitched, you know, did sell the first website, probably pitched 200 businesses, right, to get the first one. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, it's something I had no idea about. It's a pregnancy product for mares, right, for, for horses. Mm -hmm. uh, it was strange because that's what I thought would have been the last one, right? So I had some very interesting... <laughs> Uh, little ventures as well, because at one point in time, I created the first uh, website to request physical catalogs online. I believe it was 1995 or so. And it was there's called. A bit, there's e a bit of irony now that you created a website to request physical catalogs when, for all intents and purposes, the internet has now killed physical catalogs al along with most of the paper news. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. But you know. have come if, full circle. But think about this, how many times back, back then, you know, what we, the way a, way a mail order business, which is a term that's hardly even used anymore today, but the way a mail order business promoted itself is via classified ads, call 1-800, right, yep. blah, 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 request a free catalog. And then slowly you started seeing URLs being inserted into those classified ads, right? Mm. So we thought, wow, you know, when you look at customer acquisition costs, the average magazine, you take a better homes and gardens, you know, and I was, I had a contact there and they were telling me, look, it's, it costs an advertiser roughly 35, $37 to generate a free catalog request. So we thought, look, we can do this cheaper online. And we created emailman.com. Emailman was a catalog request form. I have no idea what it is today, but it's an interesting little anecdote because you're an attorney. So I'm going to talk to you as you tell you a story about attorneys. At one point in time, I get a phone call from an attorney who says, hey, you know, you have emailman.com that belongs to my client, this domain. I was like, well, clearly not because, you know, I'm running a business on it. I'm like, how does it belong to him? Mm. You know, <laughs> so we started, he started firing, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I said, well, look, I mean, you can do whatever you want. I've been, I've been running this website for two years now. Uh, or maybe, you know, if you have an offer to make, you know, make an offer. So. Mm. He gets up the phone, he talks to his client, he comes back and calls me, and now he, he's talking to me like a businessman. He's no longer the lawyer. <laughs> he's starting to negotiate. And I ask him, so, well, I mean, you know, I have a business, but how badly do you need it? Let's figure something out. Maybe we can work together. Mm -hmm. And then he just lets the cat out of the bag. And he says, well, you know, 
my client just printed 850,000 catalogs with the domain on it, emailman.com, blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, we settled on a price and I sold it 48 hours later. But it was very... And those are usually, if you're real true, and if you wanted to leverage them, you're saying, I could pay or I could sell this for quite a bit because otherwise their two options are either pay what you're willing or what you're asking for, or they have to go reprint a ton of catalogs. But you think about it, this would never happen again today, right? So, mm. but you saw this all the time back 25, 20, 25 years ago, where people would just assume, wrongly so, that the mm. domain was readily available or go file a trademark not checking whether the domain has actually ever been used, right? Uh, didn't even know how to check. Because I remember mm -hmm. sitting with an old client of mine, that was in 1993, and we were sitting at networksolutions.com, and he, he made a killing, made millions of dollars buying Vanity 800 domain names. Uh, so Vanity <laughs> 800 numbers, sorry. And mm -hmm. I was sitting there with him at Network Solutions, typing in dollar.com, travel.com, anything.com. They were all available for 70 bucks at that time. And right? you should have bought all of them, and you would have made a I huge was, I was broke. I was 23 years old. I just got into the U.S. I didn't have a dollar in my pocket. So the complete, them. one other complete aside, just on the pricing now of, of URLs and that. So, you know, we have a couple URLs, and I'm, I'm probably a bit of a URL hoarder. I just like to have them because they're easier. They're easier once you need to have buy them to have them in hand than once or somebody else owns them. But if you were to look at patents or patents with an S.com, what would your guess be as to what that or what that is selling for right now? You, my question is, do you own it? <laughs> I, no, I don't own it. I would love to own it. I don't own it. What's it going? What uh, I would say between 750, 1.5 million. You're, you're right on. It's one or they want over a million and same thing. So my last name is Miller, Miller IP law. If I wanted to go and buy Miller.com, same thing. Both of those are over a million dollars and just astounds me that I get why they could, or why they're selling. It's a short name. It's easy to do, but it just shocks me how much URLs are, or some of them go for these days. So, I mean, uh, going back to the gentleman I was sitting down with, who again was the 800 number hoarder at some mm -hmm. point in time. Uh, one of them that we typed in that we could we touch base later in the early 2000s because one of them we had typed in that was available was business.com mm. which sky Dayton, the founder of earthlink purchased i believe in 2001 or so for 9 million us wow. that's when he called me up and he told me <laughs> that was the dumbest thing i've ever done in, in, in my life not li not listening to you because we could have bought them all right and actually yep. be billionaires within 2 hours you know, just buy dollar.com, just buy business.com, travel.com, and a few others. And if you'd, you'd only done. known. So that's right. So now let's diving back just a bit to your journey, because that's a rabbit hole that we could chat out all day. But getting back a bit, back a bit to your journey. So you did that. You, you did web development. You expanded in. You expanded your services over a period of time. Did, you know, a few things. Now take us up to kind of where you're at today is because I think the same genesis of the startup, the same business is still what you're running today. But you've morphed it and you've also got into a bit more of investing and leveraging technology and that. So maybe tell us a little bit how that's morphed over the period of time and where that brings you at today sure so still today i'm uh, pure tech right uh in the incubator and accelerator it's, that's all we incubate and we accelerate i think the core difference is that i've morphed for the last eight eight years or so more into an angel investing position and mm. uh, the, the reason for that is that i think there is a a huge gap i call it the expectation gap between startup entrepreneurs who tend to pitch on fm and investors who tend to listen to am 
And you know, they don't communicate very well. And if I go back to 1993, the first time I was sitting in front of an investor, I was very excited about explaining to him uh, my digital marketing startup. Uh, and after 10, 15 years, his eyes were blazing over and I lost him very, very quickly. And then I thought, well, better shut up and let him speak. So he spoke in his finance lingo and I was completely lost when he talked about, you know, are, you, are your seed funding pre-seed? Are you series A? What level are you at? And I had no idea what that meant at that point in time. So fast forward- to say yes, whatever, whatever answer will get. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. So fast forward 28 years, it's a little better. But there's still a lot of ground to make up, right? So the reason, main reason why we created Unicorn is they're actually somewhat filled that gap. And I think what you're seeing today is you're seeing more and more former entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs who are actually becoming uh, angel investors, who have been there, who have done that, who understand the intricacies on both sides of the table. Right, mm. and can serve as a liaison. Right, so for example, perfect ecosystem because it's driven by supply and demand is you know very much like Uber or Airbnb. If you only have drivers and no riders, you have a problem. Right, mm. if you have too many riders and no drivers, you have a problem as well. Here, it's supply and demand between the startup entrepreneurs and the capital. Right, mm. having 50 startup entrepreneurs with great concepts and promising startups and no capital is no good. Having only button capital and, and and no startups is not good either. So you have to maintain a balance between the two and you have to make sure that the two understand each other and can communicate properly. So that's part of what we do here, mm. right, where some of the concepts obviously, uh, because tech is so advanced today. So if you're getting into AI, 5G, augmented reality, virtual reality, the mm. unless you're specialized in the field, you get tend to get lost very, very quickly. So you have to build this ability of dumbing concepts down and making these concepts accessible for an angel investor who is not necessarily well well versed in 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 those in those fields, right? Mm. And then we've built uh, our internal filters inside of Unicorn, where, you know, if everything checks out, everything is, you know, we look at financial metrics first and foremost. That's done by a CFA partner, not myself. Uh, assuming everything does check out, it comes on to me, and the first thing I look at is product market fit. Mm. I look at the team. And then last but not least, I look at our ability to scale what they currently have very rapidly, specifically on the acceleration side. Mm. And on that note, we specialize in certain domains where you know, we're just better than others, specifically in the mobile space, mobile app space. Uh, we currently rank number one in the in the in the app stores for 5,000 keywords in 17 different languages. Uh, mm. You know, so we have the ability to accelerate certain businesses much faster than others, especially if they're mobile first. Mm. Uh, and we do this in travel. We do it in fintech. Uh, we do it in AR VR. Uh, we do it in sports predictions. In some markets, where legal sports betting. Uh, where we're number one for hundreds of keywords, focusing with a hard focus on customer acquisition and on scalability. Hmm. No, and I think that and that's cool. And I, I mean, I, it's interesting and it seems a bit of a common theme is if you're a successful entrepreneur, if you've done some good startups, if you've you know, had a good career, then, you know, at some point you almost become an investor. And I, you know, some people, if they're taking the cynical approach, they, well, now you just want to go make a whole bunch of money. So you become an investor. But I think that a lot of times it seems like more so the real commonality is, Hey, I've done this a few times. I've been successful. I've, you know, ran some great companies. Now I want to give back and help kind of the next generation to build their, you know, build those next technologies, the next businesses that are going to kind of 
or help to, you know, help things to evolve and to grow and even become better. So it, it sounds like kind of on that. It's very much, a- yeah, yeah, 100% right. I think, you know, the most exciting part for me today is to be able to, what I usually tell young entrepreneurs is that, look, I cannot necessarily tell you what it is that you should be doing, mm. but I can tell you with almost certainty what it is that you should not be doing. So I think this hands-on approach is somewhat lost. Uh, I think one big thing that's missing is this mentoring in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you know, we work with attorneys, we work with accountants, we have digital marketers in the house, we have great graphic designers, great developers, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you to come in knowing that you're not on your own, because there's nothing worse than the, the lone wolf entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. You yep. get depressed, uh, you hit a hurdle, you don't know how to resolve it, you bang your head against the wall for weeks on end as a developer because you hit that hurdle when, hey, if you're in the right ecosystem, you lift your hand, there's a helping hand there, the guy shows you, well, you know, here's the line of code that's, that's making it not work, fixes it on the fly and you move forward, right? Yeah, so it no, allows and, you. And that, I just, I just, I'm nodding my head yes and, or, you know, agreeing with you because part of why I started this podcast was because especially if you're a solo entrepreneur, even if you have one partner, it's still much of a lonely journey. It's still, you can get depressed. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of uncertainty. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of juggling lots of hats and dealing with a lot of things you've never dealt with before. And so definitely to have that ability to have a group or other people that can be mentors that you can work with, that you can have those connections, I think is invaluable when you're trying to to do a startup or a small business. Yeah, I mean, first question I asked myself when I, before I started Unicorn was, look, what would I build for myself 25 years ago? What mm. kind of resources would, do I wish I would have had back then that I didn't have? And how can I assist some of these same startups by building a, virtu- a, you know, a virtuous ecosystem that actually helps them on every single level? So we would, well, we could, we could dive into a whole lot more a lot of our rabbit holes that I would love to discuss and I would have a great time, but at, but keeping it within the confines of the trying or the, the time we have for the podcast, uh, I'm going to jump to the two questions I always ask at the end of the podcast. Um, so the first question I always ask is, so along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? I think the worst business decision I ever made was to go to first investor. Mm. And uh, what did I learn from it is uh, to never do it again, <laughs> number one. And number two, to actually make sure that whoever you get in bed with, be it an investor or a startup, because it could, it could go either way, uh, is, is something you're willing to do for the long term because you kind of like married, joined at the hip for a little while. It's, uh, you know, you want to make sure that it's not just a, an emotional decision that you make very, very quickly, not an impulse buy as an investor and vice versa. Uh, if you're a startup entrepreneur, uh, you know, make sure that this is an investor that you actually want to have as part of your team because he can hurt you uh, in, in more ways than one. Be, be sure he's a strategic investor that brings more than money to you. You know, he has a Rolodex. Mm-hmm. He can help your business grow, but also, you know, first rule of thumb is, you know, and I haven't fished in a long time, but what I usually ask myself is, would I go fishing with that person or mm. would I seclude myself in times of COVID or pandemic into a log cabin with that person for an extended period of time? If the answer mm. is no, regardless of how good it sounds, don't do it because sooner rather than later, you're going to get, you're going to get to a point of friction and it can really, really threaten what it is you're trying to build. No, and I, I think that's, that, you know, you always hear kind of take the smart money and there's other, you know, well, or 
worn out terms that do that, but there is a lot of truth to that in the sense that you're going to, you know, when you take on an investor, it, it's, it's the same, a, a lot for all in purposes, it's the same thing as taking on a partner. I would say a lot of what you said, taking on a business partner has the same feel as to it. You're going to spend a lot of time with them. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. And it's everybody as much of a, almost as a marriage in the sense that you're, you're with this person for the duration of the business, unless you buy them out or unless they leave or other things, but you're going to deal with them. So don't just take the money. If all they have to offer is money, if you don't, if you're not a good fit or it doesn't make sense, you, you know, you wait till you have the ones that are a good fit. They can offer more than money. Not that money doesn't help a business, but make sure that it's a good fit. So I think that that is definitely and a good lesson or, you know, something, a mistake that can be made because you're wanting the money, but definitely a good lesson to learn. So as we now jump to the second question, which is if you're talking now to a startup or a small business, what would be the one, if you, if they were just getting into it, so somebody's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say before you get jumping head first, ask yourself a question. Do you have the DNA of an entrepreneur? Yes or no. Mm. And in most cases, the answer is no. I would say that to become a successful entrepreneur takes a tremendous amount of grit, resilience, mm-hmm. and ability to take the pain and get back up. It will yeah. be a very painful journey. You got to know that before you launch yourself. If you ask me right right now, uh, it's not. I can't prove it scientifically, but by experience, just empirically, uh, how many people actually have what it takes? If mm-hmm. you are one of those persons, you're a five percenter. You're one out of twenty. Right. Yeah, so if think- you're and that's why a lot of times I think businesses don't make it after the first year or two. And it's, you know, there are definitely a lot of businesses, you know, look at the statistics that they don't last the first year or two. And certainly after five years, some of it is bad ideas, or you can blame it on the economy, you can blame it on other things. But I think to your point, a lot of it is just, are you have the DNA or the, or, you know, when you hit those hard times and every business does, do you have the DNA to push through and to make it and to pivot and to figure it out and to or keep going? Yeah, I mean, I mean, ask yourself some very fundamental questions that actually, like, I mean, there are some testy questions. So let's assume you lose all of your money. Mm. Can you live with that and actually pursue, continue to push forward? Yes or no. Mm. Let's assume you ruin a relationship as a result of trying to grow your business. Can you live with that and push through it? Which one is more important, right? It's almost politically incorrect to actually ask those questions, but it will happen. You're going to be in those situations where you either have to throw in the towel or continue. So the only thing you got to ask yourself, do I have the grit? Do I have the resilience to push all the way through? Okay. If the answer is no, or if you're doubtful, it's the, it's a no, it's not yes. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't even start if you're asking yourself. And then most people, you see it when you're actually talking with the entrepreneurs, you see the passion you see the drive right mm-hmm. they will say i don't care yes absolutely i'm going to stick through thick and thin right if that's mm-hmm. the case if you are that person that type a go for it mm. no and I, I definitely agree with you and I, I think there's a lot of wisdom there and i think that sometimes you, it's hard to know until you've done it so that's the other thing that i think sometimes try it get into it and see if you have that dna because sometimes you know it's, it's a balance on the one hand if you don't have the dna you're not going to last very long but it's also hey sometimes people don't know and they get it you know they always have this what if or i wish i tried this or i wish i'd done it sometimes you get in you say okay i don't have the dna i don't have the grip for that and then you can live the rest of your life as you're more happy with your career and the other things you're doing and you know and always have that so sometimes the best way to find out if you have that dna try it out see if you can do it and if not then you you don't you're not left wondering for the rest of your life 
Yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you don't have what it takes, it means you're going to fail. So it's much cheaper to yeah. not even start. No, no, that is a, an absolutely a fair point. Well, as we wrap up, as people want to reach out to you, they want to find out more, they want to pitch you with an idea, they want you to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up or, or connect up to find out more? I probably LinkedIn, Dom mm-hmm. Einhorn, D-O-M, Einhorn, E-I-N-H-O-R-N. Website is unicorningcubator.com. That's unicorn with a Q. My direct email is dom at unicorningcubator.com. And uh, for those of you who want to meet us personally, a good time to do that would be October 1, 2, 3 for the Startup Super Cup, okay. startupsupercup.com, uh, which will bring 1,000 people together, uh, 100 plus startups pitching, uh, and a lot of media coverage. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to uh, find out any or all of the above, reach out to Dom, whether it's whatever or whatever way is the easiest. You definitely do the incubator this uh, in the in the August um, and uh, participate in that. And there's a lot of cool things that you guys are doing. So definitely a lot of resources there. Well, thank you, Dom, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, we always love to share it. So feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. Also, make sure to click subscribe if you haven't already so you get notifications as all our awesome episodes come out. And leave us a review so new people can find out about the podcast. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents or trademarks or anything else with your business, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law by going to strategymeeting.com. Thank you again, Dom. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks for having me, Devin.